Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest from the state capitol, a Minnesota invention aims to keep families safe around the fire, and Minnesota's farm economy. But first... Roe v. Wade was the story this week after a draft of the Supreme Court opinion to overturn the case was leaked and published Monday by Politico. The leak showed justices ready to strike down the 1973 landmark decision that led to the legalization of abortion in the U.S. Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shearer helped us put it all in perspective. Well, the first thing was that this has never happened in the modern history of the Supreme Court. I mean, I cannot give you another example over the last hundred years at least where a major opinion has been leaked in draft form in advance to the press. So uh, going off of that a little bit, uh, we've got... I mean, it seems like it's a, a firebomb that's just been thrown out there, <laughs> uh, a political firebomb, if yes. you will. Um, as far as political repercussions, just kind of paint the big picture for me on what this means for uh, pro-choice versus pro-life folks, Republicans, Democrats. What's the big takeaway? Well, uh, this uh, opinion was coming a month later, which might have actually given it a bigger impact on the November elections. The real question is, will an early May disclosure affect an early November result for Democrats and Republicans? And you could argue that either way. It could fade as an issue or it could build as an issue, uh, depending upon, uh, you know, how various activists and interest groups operate between now and the November elections. Um. Uh, but having said that, uh, this, uh, this, the 2022 environment has been dismal for Democrats. They've been looking for any issue they can find. They haven't found one. This is, I think, as close... Uh, as you can come to an issue that might actually help the Democrats. And with that in mind, obviously, it sounds like Justice Roberts has uh, has made an official inquiry into where the leak came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is it is it kind of is it a no brainer that it was a politically motivated decision to leak this information one way or the other, depending on what side it came from? If it... right, uh, I think it was politically motivated, and you can argue either side had a motivation. If this was coming down, a conservative source might have wanted to leak it early in order to have it uh, uh, sort of dissipate as an effect on the November elections. On the other hand, a liberal source might want to start this issue roiling with a stunning uh, disclosure and hope that it will build as an issue for Democrats leading into the 2022 elections. So one of the repercussions of what's happened here, as I'm seeing everywhere online, a couple different words here, filibuster and codify. Those are two key words that a lot of people may or may not be familiar with. Why are those two words to watch? Well, uh, there is now an attempt to break the filibuster rule in the Senate in order to pass an abortion rights bill. But we already know that uh, some of the swing senators, Susan Collins of Maine, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, have already said they will not support any attempt to change the filibuster 
just a rule as a result of this. Uh, the, the codifying is a possibility in, in, in federal law, but again, that's going to be very difficult to do because you have to move it through both chambers in an ob, unob, unobstructed fashion, and the filibuster rule is still there. What does this mean if it does happen to move forward? And I realize that this is kind of a hypothetical. You're but over-ifing. I'm, I'm over-ifing. <laughs> but then again, uh, every political figure that you can think of uh, has has commented on it. So it's it's whether we know what's real or isn't, it's definitely something that's getting attention from politicians, including Governor Walls just saying within the last couple hours, uh, not on his watch. Right, no. right. Um, well, yeah, in the state of Minnesota, it's it's in law and in our Constitution, and so it will not be altered uh, very easily unless uh, Republicans get complete control of state government. Uh, so there's not going to be a big sea change in abortion procedures once this is announced nationally as a Supreme Court opinion. It's not going to change things in Minnesota in any dramatic fashion. Uh, one of the interesting questions, both nationally and in Minnesota, is what swing groups in the electorate might be affected by this decision. And one group to look at are suburban women, because they are... Uh, a, they are eligible or they're uh, they're gettable by both parties uh but uh, uh the abortion rights issue may uh, discourage them from moving in a republican direction if they are at all sympathetic to abortion rights and i think democrats will hold on to that hope as they proceed into the election season thank you to my guest carlton college political science professor stephen shearer up next, MN's Bill Werner on the latest from the state capitol. That, when Minnesota Matters, returns. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It's try to compromise time at the Minnesota Capitol after the House and Senate this week passed the last of their big supplemental budget bills prompted by the state's record-breaking nine-plus billion dollar budget surplus. MNN's Bill Werner filed this report. Scott, the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House this week passed a tax credit and rebate bill that could hardly be more different from the tax cut package that the Republican-controlled Senate passed nearly a month ago. 
Democrats say their bill targets relief to families with young children, seniors on fixed incomes, and those with student debt. They point to the largest property tax cut for homeowners and renters in over 20 years, child care tax credits, and no state income tax on Social Security benefits for those making under $75,000 a year. Dilworth Representative Paul Marquardt. It looks at our families, it looks at our seniors, and say, how can we be of the most help? with this tax bill. Republicans say Democrats could reduce state income taxes permanently for Minnesotans, except... Spend is what you do. Spend, 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 and tax, tax, tax. You just can't help yourself. Delano Representative Joe McDonald, Tax Committee Chairman Marquardt, responds, House Democrats tax bill... Into the next biennium, there are $1.6 billion in tax cuts about $1.2 billion of it is permanent. Glencoe Republican Glenn Grunhagen fired back. In the current overall DFL budget in the House, there's only $1 of tax cuts for every $21 of growing government. Mazeppa Republican Steve Draskowski echoes over $10 billion of the people's money has piled up in a huge budget surplus. That's $6,000 per income taxpayer, or $12,000 Per couple. Richfield Democratic Representative Michael Howard responds unlike Republicans, Democrats do not give tax cuts to CEOs, but instead to middle class workers who have struggled these past two years. In this bill, we say we have your back. You have delivered for us. And now we are going to deliver for you. Remains to be seen whether Democrats and Republicans can reach a deal before the legislature adjourns on May 23rd. And just like that tax bill, an E-12 education bill that the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate passed this week, totaling $30 million to beef up literacy programs in public schools. That bill could hardly be more different than House Democrats' plan to add $3 billion to public school funding over four years. To put $30.7 million into education when we have a $9.25 billion surplus is embarrassing. It's shameful. Maplewood Democrat Chuck Weger, Republican Senator Roger Chamberlain from Lino Lake, says half of Minnesota third graders cannot read at grade level. And he says if a child can't read, little else matters. Why are we in this spot? It's not because we don't fund. We haven't got the wheels right. But St. Paul Democrat Aaron Murphy says... I worry a great deal about pumping $30 million into literacy when there aren't adequate educators or ESPs in our schools to actually carry out the function. Rochester Republican Carla Nelson contends there's been plenty of money for education and it has not solved students' reading problems. 2019, historic education funding. 2021, again, historic education funding. Shoreview Democrat Jason Isaacson fired back. I've heard a couple of my friends across the aisle crowing in almost a bragging nature about the money they've spent when the reality was when their budget first came up it had zero dollars in the formula. Not only House Democrats but also Democratic Governor Tim Walz have proposed significant funding increases for public schools and just as with taxes the sides must now try to reach a compromise with two weeks remaining in the legislative session. 
political analysts say education, taxes, and crime for certain will be on voters' minds at the polls this fall. But another hot-button issue that's been waiting in the wings will now certainly be in candidates' campaign speeches and conversations with voters across Minnesota. That after a draft U.S. Supreme Court opinion was leaked this week indicating the high court could be poised to overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling that legalized abortion leaving that decision to the individual states. Back alley abortions, people having to take buses to other states, people not being able to make their own economic decisions right as they're coming out of this pandemic. Senator Amy Klobuchar told MSNBC. People are scared today. The number of emails I've gotten uh, and the number of people I've talked to, they are deeply concerned about what will happen. Said Governor Tim Walls. My statement is very clear, not on my watch. Whoever sits in this office, and I have the privilege to right now, will make that decision. Minnesota GOP Chairman David Hand says Republicans do differ on some aspects of difficult abortion cases. However, as a party, we are always going to stand for life, human life, and uh, recognize it needs to be respected, and we need to have a law system that uh, understands that and respects human life. We think that's fundamental. Democratic Attorney General Keith Ellison says here in Minnesota there is cause for concern. However, we don't need to panic. Roe is still the law of the land in America though likely not for long. In Minnesota, however, the right to abortion is protected by the 1995 Minnesota Supreme Court decision called the Gomez case. And although the head of the most influential pro-life group in Minnesota, of course, has a totally different view on abortion, Scott Fishbach with Minnesota Citizens Concern for Life has a similar take on the political strategic implications. Even if the United States Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade. When it comes back to Minnesota, we still need to overturn the Doe versus Gomez decision. That 1995 Minnesota Supreme Court ruling allows the state to pay for abortions for low-income women. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler acknowledges that decision impedes Republicans' push for an abortion ban in Minnesota. But from a political strategy perspective, he cautions fellow Democrats. Our Supreme Court is elected, and I expect Republicans to bring their anti-abortion position to our Supreme Court elections also. Democrats' concern confirmed by Republican State Senator Michelle Benson. If we're going to move to be a more pro-life Minnesota, there will have to be some changes in our judiciary. Scott? Thank you, Bill. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A Minnesota father has developed a couple products to make fun around the campfire safer for families. Tasha Radel has more. Bonfire season is on, and I know for me and my family, roasting marshmallows and hot dogs is a true tradition. Not sure about you, but I so dislike using sticks, metal skewers, or basically whatever we can find. And that's why I'm excited to introduce to all of you Jeff Rosti, owner of Outdoor Fun for All, LLC, who has created the marshmallow mitt and the hot dog mitt. Welcome, Jeff. Before we dive into the specifics of your two products, can you share the story on how the marshmallow and hot dog mitts came about? Yeah, the marshmallow mitt was a uh, a result of my our family sitting around a campfire in our backyard, and our son's marshmallow kept falling into the fire. And he goes, Dad, you got to come up with a better way to roast a marshmallow. And 
kind of immediately it, it kind of hit me that hey if if marshmallows are falling down the opposite of gravity would be bringing it toward towards you so i an idea came into my head to reverse that and create some type of a basket or holding device that would that would bring it invert it back towards you so it wouldn't fall in the fire so i went in and kind of sketched it out on a on a piece of paper in my shop there and came back out to the campfire and we finished our our, our roasting of our marshmallows that night and then, of course, you know, about three years later, because our our kids were all involved in athletics and and activities, we were a very busy family, and I have four we have four children, and it got so busy that I just didn't get around to it. And my son comes up to me one day, he goes, "Dad, how's that marshmallow thing coming?" And I'm like, <laughs> uh, "Son, we're just kind of a little bit busy here, but and and then I kind of like." Started back in on it again and started putting some prototype uh, drawings together and some sketches and and then about three years later my son goes Dad how's that marshmallow thing coming and I, <laughs> so I get back on it and I started making some prototypes out of some bending some wire and things like that just to kind of get some ideas of shapes and things and and then one last time you know about three more years later it's like how's that marshmallow thing coming I said you know what I'm going to start it now because you guys are all in college. <laughs> So now I have time to work on it. So I actually started from from the time they went in college, from the time I started in September, I actually had working prototypes um, within five months. So, And then I was just going to say that, and then I thought, once I got that going, I thought, wow, if you can do it with marshmallows, why not a hot dog? Because that's the next thing people roast around on the thing. So the idea of, of removing the sharp poker stick from a marshmallow roasting uh, experience why not do it with a hot dog because that's the only thing you can use to roast a hot dog with so that's how that hot dog mitt came about also so I know when you created these two mitts you really had safety top and key of mind because we all know the dangers around a campfire right and the whole idea of of making a better way to roast a marshmallow really went to the wayside when I realized that it really isn't about a better way to roast a marshmallow it's a safer way to roast a marshmallow. I don't know how many times you or or anybody out there has been around a campfire and they give these, your your kids, these sharp poker sticks. Then you walk away to go get the marshmallows and the graham crackers out of the house. And when you come back, the kids are playing sword fights with those things. And it just became an issue of safety. And and it really is. It's, it's, you gotta, you gotta come up with better ways to keep kids safe. I, I, I always use the analogy that, from the time a mother gives birth to a child, she spends every waking moment of her life keeping that child safe. But then for some reason, when they turn five, they give them a sharp poker stick and say, hey, go roast the marshmallow. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it just didn't make sense. So now, but it, now it does make sense. It's, to me, it's, it's not about a better way. It's about a safer way. One of the things I always disliked about using metal skewers were they were really hard to clean up. Are yours easy to clean? That's correct. You know, the technology of the of the marshmallow mitt didn't exist uh, back, say, 10 years ago. So it's actually a good thing that it was put off. It was a God thing that it, it took this long because now the high-temperature food-safe silicone, which is the same silicone used on your baking sheets in your uh, in your oven, is... Um, is makes the marshmallow mitt work and number number two it allows you to clean it because it's like a spatula you can run it under cold you know hot or cold water and it cleans up you know beautifully or it's even dishwasher safe 
So instead of taking that poker stick and rubbing that, you know, char off of it in the, in the grass and on the rocks, and then you put another marshmallow on it, which is really kind of gross, you can take this into the house when you're done and you, and you just wash it up and it comes up, washes off clean, and you're ready for your next experience around the campfire. Thanks again to my guest, Jeff Rosti, owner of Outdoor Fun for All LLC and creator of the Marshmallow Mitt and the Hot Dog Mitt. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please. Have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but... I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Many ag economists believe the farm economy is shrouded in uncertainty, One such ag economist is Pauline Van Nurden with the University of Minnesota's Center for Farm Financial Management. The annual farm income report is out, and MNN correspondent Mark Dornkamp spoke with Van Nurden about the report. These numbers are gathered from actual uh, farmers who participate in farm management programs, working with um, educators and other consultants, uh, and they take a look at all of the cash inflows and outflows, income and expenses, capital purchases, all of that for the year. Uh, so it is an accrual adjusted income statement that, um, like I said, is put together and then contributed to the FinBin database anonymously. So there's there's strict protocols in place to make sure that happens, but it, it is real farm data. It's not survey data. So as we dig into the results, let's start with median net farm income at over $166,000 in 2021. Did this continue an upward trajectory? And, and where would this rank, I guess, with uh, other years where where we saw incomes around these levels? Yes, this is the second year in a row where, we, where Minnesota Farms um, saw improved profitability. That was after a seven-year downturn, which we're all very familiar with. Um, this the 2021 year actually ranks second among the historical records uh, that um, have been kept in relation to Minnesota farm income. The the other year that was higher was 2012. And of course, in, in 2012, we saw extremely high commodity prices, corn and soybeans in particular, and uh, we're experiencing that again right now. So I, I would assume that's the primary driver here, but certainly other factors. Correct. The the primary driver definitely is um, improved commodity prices. Uh, We saw um, 
by and large improved prices for all of Minnesota's major commodities last year. So that helped all farm types uh, be profitable for the year. Um, uh, yields were actually, I think, better than expected given the drought conditions in much of the state. So we were able to maintain more of a trend line yields. Um, they not a bin buster, of course, but better than expected, I think, um, early to mid-summer. So that certainly helped as well. A median farm income on crop farms, $210,000. And, and I'm assuming there that's second to 2012 as well, Pauline? Uh, yes, that that would be correct, I believe. Um, I, I'd have to verify, but yes, I would definitely assume that given the strong commodity prices, um, uh, like you said, for both years. As we look at the livestock farms, I would think that the the high commodity prices, of corn, soybeans, you know, what's used to feed these animals, uh, that would cut into margins for for livestock producers. So, what were the results on livestock farms in 2021? Yes, high feed costs certainly did uh, play a role, as did just the tight supply of quality forages for many farms. So uh, both of those things impacted. Uh, as we look at dairy producers, their profitability was actually down a little bit from the previous year. They still had um, a, a decent year of profitability, but it was down 25% um, from the previous year. And like you said, overall cash expenses were up about 8% last year for Minnesota dairy producers. Uh, pork producers, on the other hand, did see very strong profits. Um, marketing is really what uh, was the determining factor there. With Given the vol volatility of the hog markets, um, we saw farms do very well or have some profitability challenges. So the average wean-to-finish producer made about $14 a head on average, but um, looking at both extremes there, this ranged from a loss of $34 per finished pig all the way to profits of $41 per finished pig. So like I said, a lot of volatility there. Beef producers, um, were um, their income was also up last year. We, um, I would say that a lot of this is coming from the cropping side of their operation. Um, again, market volatility for beef producers um, led to some folks having a strong year and some um, not such a profitable year. But we see a lot of our beef producers also with um, quite a few crop acres. So that, that certainly helps their profitability. What can the results from the 2021 report tell us as we look ahead at, at what incomes might be in 2022? Uh, that is a great question. I think there is so much uncertainty right now. It is really hard to tell. I mean, we know commodity prices, for the most part, are still very strong. Um, you know, we see corn and soybean prices above our um, average sale price for last year. So again, how uh, how farmers have marketed their crop um, previously, um, you know, old crop sales coming into this year. Uh, we see pretty strong hog, beef, and milk prices as well. So I think we we certainly have good crop prices. The question is, how much have farms prepaid, and what what inputs do they have locked in? Feed prices, like we already talked about, aren't going to go down for our livestock producers. The availability of chemicals and fertilizer for our crop producers that didn't have that locked in last fall. So. I think there's a lot of uncertainty um, 
out in farm country these days, just given some of those dynamics and the ongoing uh, Ukrainian war and just the questions surrounding that. So lots of unknowns. That's Pauline Van Nurden from the U of M Extension Center for Farm Financial Management, along with MNN correspondent Mark Dorenkamp. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thanks again for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.